This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. End-of-life planning is never easy. A better way could be to start the process early by planning for the life you want to lead and leave behind. After all, death is a part of life and it may be helpful to start thinking about it years before, said a palliative care doctor and the surgeon who does not shy away from talking about death and dying well with her patients. Dr. Tanya Swam is a breast surgeon with her own practice at Mount of Vernier Hospital. She was a former nominated MP and the past president of the Singapore Medical Association. Dr. Sherlyn Ho is the deputy head and senior consultant of the Division of Supportive and Palliative Care at the National Cancer Centre Singapore. In this episode, we will discuss the importance of end-of-life planning and palliative care and how talking about death can help us come to terms with this reality. Welcome, Dr. Ho and Dr. Tan. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks for having us over. So let's start with the first question. So I wanted to ask you, how often do you both confront death in your work? Mm, for me, it's probably an almost daily affair. I actually journey with patients who are facing death, whether it's in weeks or months or very imminent. For myself, I train as a general surgeon and whenever we are on active call in the hospital, Almost uh, daily, we would see patients in massive traffic road accidents, some are vomiting blood. So those patients are near death. Now, uh, in my own practice, I look after breast cancer patients. So for these patients, we hopefully help them become well and live a long and full life. But after they are well, I do plant the idea that it is not a bad thing to start thinking about end-of-life planning. Because I think in our society, there's still a lot of superstition or pantang about yes, don't talk about death. I see. Interesting. I didn't know that in early stage cancer, you actually broached the topic already. Maybe that's just my personal style because it's unusual for one, yes. it's unusual for a surgeon to be so uh, you know, actively involved in uh, championing for palliative care. I think there's still some misunderstanding about what palliative care is about, which is why Dr. Ho will explain yeah. more later. Well, and also there is, I think, a slight difference in approach for cancer versus non-cancer patients. Well, if you look at the mean duration of palliative care that a cancer patient receives, that is before death, that's about a median of 33 days. But for a non-cancer patient, that's probably about nine days. So for cancer patients, I think once they got cancer, there's this shock that, okay, this is bad news. Whether they discuss it or not, there's this chance of death. But when I have diabetes, I have a bit of heart disease, the doctor asks me to, you know, diet, it won't occur to a non-cancer patient very often that actually their trajectory might be poor and not only chronic, but they sometimes die of heart or kidney disease. So they're not picked up as early. There will be a stage for non-cancer patients, whether it's advanced neurological disease, Parkinson's disease, dementia, kidney failure patients, that they will face death too. And palliative care is also for them. So if you have an incurable illness, right, would you want to go quickly or try to prolong your life for as long as possible? For myself, I would probably try to prolong my life, but not using all means. There will be certain things that I feel will be going too far that I wouldn't want, especially if it affects my quality of life. But there are certain things that I'm good to try. And really, it's to give me a bit more time to prepare myself, 
to face God and also to prepare the, my family or friends around me. Palliative care can be started even when you're trying out life-prolonging measures like going for chemotherapy or going for dialysis. It doesn't stop you from receiving symptom control medications or talking about what are your priorities and making sure that your care is aligned. I think everyone can use that extra layer of support, whether it's the patients or the families. Mm, right. Mm. Dr. Tan? My views on this, maybe I share some feedback from patients. When I break news to my patients that they have breast cancer, some will be very worried that, or that they will suffer through the cancer treatment and it's better to die fast. That's when I will, you know, try to address that misconception. It is true that cancer treatment, chemotherapy, there are side effects, but that process is a limited six months to a year. At the end of it, we try to get them cancer-free. And right now, even for patients with stage 4 cancer, we have amazing results and patients can live a full and healthy life. It's not like the olden days where patients may pass within three to six months. Whereas a patient who has a sudden heart attack or sudden stroke or found dead in their sleep, yes, the patient themselves doesn't feel anything. But the family suffers. It's too sudden. There's no preparation. So for my patients, you see, when diagnosed with cancer, I just remind them, it's, it's almost like if you are uh, having a book of life, you suddenly just write, oh, I'm at the epilogue. I've been, I've been given this diagnosis of cancer. Well, okay, take, take death a bit more seriously and plan. Do I have any regrets? Uh, is there anyone I need to say sorry to? Is there anyone who owes me money? And... <laughs> And sort of get my life plans in order. There is time to plan and ensure that, you know, I have no regrets when I do pass. All right, but it's not as easy, right? I mean, it's always a good thing to start this palliative care early. But broaching, I think, the subject, it's uh, difficult itself. I think that's why it's only five years ago in the World Health Assembly that it is agreed that palliative care should be integrated to the primary health system of a country so that the governments can provide it. It's about identifying the group of patients who need it and providing it for them. It's not just talking about death. It's also really a provision of care, making sure your symptoms are well controlled. And even near the end of life, there are symptoms that we can control with fairly effective medications. Dr. John, earlier you mentioned that you approached the subject with your patient, right? I mean, usually how is it like, you know, what kind of reactions you get from them? So you can imagine the first visit, there's uh, no relationship, right? So it's just we focus on my view, right? Or mm. the breast lump and so on and so forth. Second visit, focus on getting the patient well. Third visit, fourth visit, at three months, at six months, when they're doing well and cancer-free, I'll just gently ask them, you know, are you aware that, you know, for some patients, the cancer can come back at some point and, at, and we cannot predict who it happens to? Have you ever given any talk to this? I find it less threatening when the main doctor leads that conversation because there's already a relationship I find it's better for me to just introduce that topic to them rather than, let's say, 15 years later, 10 years later, there's a cancer recurrence, they're labelled as stage 4, and they see a new doctor, like Dr. Ho for the first time, <laughs> and this is a palliative doctor. Mm -hmm. In their mind, they feel, oh no, die liao, no more hope. But if I've already informed them that, you know, 10 years ago, this doctor, my surgeon, they told me, yeah, cancer does come back, I should start thinking about it. So when it does happen, it's not so sudden. They've already been thinking about it on and off for years. Yeah, or after I die, I got three children. How do I split the property? Uh, you know, right, or actually, I got a secret uh, first first wife somewhere. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. This is how I do the counselling my patients. There's nothing to be fearful of. 
imagine you say 生老病死, mm. so death is a natural consequence of life. We may not always be able to choose how we go, but as a cancer doctor, I reassure my cancer patients, we have facts to work with, we have certain uh, trajectories to follow. There's always something, you know, to plan for. Right. And another way sometimes I speak to patients is that after this six months, one year of healthcare experience, right? As you go on living, what different decisions you would, would you make if you have not had cancer before? And it's, it's about reflecting, right? Oh, like I've been really working, you know, 120% of my time. So now what will be my priority? It really is quite fulfilling to see that actually there's so much growth through their treatment. And now, okay, how am I going to live so that uh, whether it's 5, 10 or 15 years down the road, I'll have no regrets. Sorry, then right now you mm. see my older son is preparing for PSLE. Right now, when everybody is well and healthy, we are so hung up about PSLE, must get your 4 AL1 and all that. But if ever he, my son or myself, has a diagnosis or something very serious, then that changes my perspective a lot. Does it matter if it's AL1 or AL whatever, right? What is more important is the quality of love and care in our relationship. So there are some things that, you know, you close one eye, shut the other, like, oh, homework never do, close one eye. It's actually not that critical. It just helps us to reset the priorities. What truly matters in life? That's interesting because PSLE gets everybody crazy in Singapore. Right? Yes. <laughs> Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Sherlyn Ho and Dr. Tanya Swam on death and dying will. So actually, I, I wanted to ask Dr. Ho, you're a palliative care doctor, right? So when you actually talk to them, I mean, usually in Singapore, at least with the subject being so taboo, how the patients like, you know, what kind of reactions do you get actually? Um, actually, I, I try to sense my way and I often ask the patients to tell their stories and I use their own words. So what have you heard from your doctor or how has this two years been if I know that they've been on treatment for two years? If they use the words cancer, then I know I can use. If they keep using just the word a shadow, a, a growth and all that, I, I just use the same word. If they say that, oh, I, I don't know, uh, my son or my daughter handles everything, then I also know the context of how much they know and as well as who are their trusted uh, family members to help handle this very difficult situation. And we sort of explore from there. Right, right. So you've had many patients. Tell us a story about a dying patient that you cannot forget. Well, I had this young patient. I think I first met her when she was 19. And I was really scared because teenagers <laughs> are quite difficult and it all pulls at our heartstring. So I was caring for her intermittently in the hospital, I think for about two, two and a half years. In the later part of her illness, uh, she spent more times at home and she was under home care. But she really inspires me and also the social worker who's also taking care of her. With just her humour, she never stops making fun of us as well as herself. And can, she can see the funniest thing in different situations. And just her capacity for hope. Because she has this cancer that affects her central nervous systems. So how it was diagnosed is that she started to have uh, leg weakness. So she was in poly. So it gives a lot of problems, right? Studying, going to school, meeting friends. So as she became more and more bed-bound, that was her reality. She was stuck at home. 
and her parents had to work. So she had to sort things out, make sure everything was okay for herself beside her bed in the daytime and wait until her mom comes back in the evening. And she can always find things to celebrate. Still, you know, spending time with friends, being on the phone, enjoying music. And she, at one point, started losing some of this capacity, which was a really sad thing for us witnessing that. You know, she started to lose her sight because it also affected her brain. And I was trying in my feeble way to comfort her. Oh, maybe then you'll listen to music, lah, you know. But, you know, she again teased me. I'm not from that generation, you know, <laughs> listening to music, whichever FM that is, you know. Yeah, this capacity to, to still find hope in the most dire of circumstances and still being able to look beyond herself and care for other people. So her concerns really in the last few weeks of life were her mother, how she could get the social worker to help focus on her mom to make sure her mom is supported, how her sibling and the rest of her family would react and how to make sure that they are in a good place. So um, she never dwelled on herself a lot, actually. So that was really amazing. And that sort of left a deep mark on me and also the social worker because she was going away in a couple of weeks for her studies. So she sort of wished her well on her master's. And she said, oh, you know, when you come back from overseas, I may not be here. But, you know, she still uh, was thinking about, you know, her going away and uh, and wishing her well. Yeah, sad but amazing, actually. So Dr. Tan, as a breast cancer surgeon, right, you would have had patients that you cannot save, right? How do you break the news to them and their families? Wow, this is where I must change the narrative. For breast cancer, there's no, no one that we cannot save. <laughs> right? And that confidence comes from the fact that there are new medications available that help to keep the cancer at bay, even for stage 4 cancers. So I'm a surgeon, I do the initial diagnosis, biopsies, and we arrange the whole body scan. When labelled as a stage 4 cancer, I work with oncologists, chemotherapy doctors, and I want to uh, reassure all listeners that breast cancer care is now breaking a lot of new boundaries. So don't get fearful, never give up hope. Okay, then if let's say there are some patients where the scan shows disseminated disease, cancer hotspots over the body, realistically such patients, the body finds it harder to fight that amount of cancer. In the olden days, it might be as short as three months to six months left. So I still prepare them just in case the medicines don't work, all right? Go forth and try and accept whatever the chemo doctor recommends. But in this context, it would be prudent to just draw back and reflect. If you are going to pass away in the next few weeks, is there anything that you really want to do? And I think that may not just apply to cancer patients, I think to all of us. So again, we are fairly young and healthy in our 40s. We should have a full life ahead of us. But we also know that you know, car traffic accidents can happen anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my personal phobia is actually plane crash because once in a while it happens and I really avoid taking flights. I, I don't miss air travel. During COVID, I was happy to be <laughs> landbound. <laughs> so whenever news of plane crash happen, I get very, very scared because to me, that's something out of my control, unpredictable. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I do think about these things. And um, once my kids were born, the husband and I sat down, we had our will done up. We have appointed our uh, executors. Uh, I've already told a few friends, close family, if something happened to us, uh, make sure you do all these things. <laughs> so, so I encourage everyone, lah, right? it's good to just think about these things. 
That's advanced care planning, right? Yes. Advanced care planning is the process of planning for one's current and future health care. It enables us to choose how we want to be cared for at the end of our lives. In the event that we can no longer make decisions or speak for ourselves, the ACP guides decision makers to act in our best interests. This is part one of our series on death and dying well. Part two will drop on December 20th. In that episode, we will talk more about advanced care planning and how it can help when further treatment can sometimes do more harm than good. Thank you for listening. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.